Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. Dynamic duo of Mike and Tristan from the Landlord page. Again, missing Ian this week. He's got the sniffles, so everyone wish Ian well. Um, today we're welcoming Ollie Sherlock. Ollie is the Director of Insurance and Protection for Good Lord. We're at the very start of a cost of living crisis, which should be no new news to anybody listening. The end of the, the mass effect of the pandemic. And whilst those two things aren't uh, mutually exclusive, they are starting to link up. Goodlord are a compliance partner. They look after referencing contracts, legals and insurance on behalf of our agency and hundreds of others across the UK. They're one of the most progressive businesses out there in the prop tech space. So, Tristan, what are you looking forward to speaking to Ollie about? For me, there's a couple of things, really. Insurance goes in line with referencing and what's going on in the background. We know the cost of living's increasing so i'd like to know what changes are potentially looking to come into effect the affordability is going to change and the importance of having rental legal protection on your home um, because we know that eviction process can be quite a, a long period and can be a very costly period so if someone's fall ill as well or lose their job due to redundancy what protection does that landlord have how much can they physically afford to to keep that property without going into arrears themselves. So yeah, I'd be really interested to see the, the stats and trends from his side of what's going on uh, across the board. I mean, I really like speaking to people like Ollie because he sees the, the industry from multiple angles. Ex-letting agent, current director of insurance for a referencing and compliance provider, and also a landlord in the commercial and residential space himself. So it's a really well-formed view that is coming to, because he's looking at it from a personal angle, from a professional angle, and from the past as well as what his, what the pressures were on him as a letting agent. So he sees it in every single which way. So I'm pretty sure we're going to get some interesting answers, some good stats and some good data from him. So let's bring him on. Okay, Ollie. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been a few weeks in the making for doing this with Diary Space, but thanks for making the time. As I mentioned on the intro, Ollie is Director of Insurance at Goodlord. Goodlord is a process and a system, a company that we use at Avocado Property for all our compliance, referencing, tenancy agreements and insurance needs. And they provide it for a massive proportion of our industry for those who don't know, who haven't seen me rattling on about it before. So, Ollie, thanks for joining Tristan and myself this afternoon. No, it's at all. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for the time. First question, the one that's always on everybody's lips, is is what got you into being a landlord and got you into working in the property industry? So um as a as a family, we um my, my granddad actually was was kind of the first within the the family line to, to take an interest in property. And um he was a uh, a butcher in, in a small town in Lincolnshire called Sleaford. And Back then, of course, things like butchers, bakers, you know, they're well known and you become a bit of a, uh, a personality in the town. He, he definitely had a personality, but the other passion, not only for uh, alongside butchery, was also um, investing in property and allowing other businesses within that town to, to benefit and working together as a collaboration rather than a big property owner. Um, he believed in, in, in small businesses and, and, um, and promoting those and wanted to ensure that the local people in Sleaford could have had that ability to, to rent properties at a fair rate and 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 deal with people like he he wanted to be dealt with as a as a business owner himself. So we started commercially, um, and that led to a few residential properties being added to the portfolio. And that's something that over the generations do. Uh, my mum and I, we've then sort of taken over and fully intend to pass down to the children and then so on from there. Hopefully, so that really understanding how how influential property is, and that sounds really basic, but 
you know, if one, everyone needs somewhere to live and two, everybody needs somewhere to do business. Now that's slightly changed because of the pandemic, of course. Now those two places are often the same thing, which arguably makes it even more important to people's lives. Um, and it's such an inter- interesting market, isn't it? It's, it fluctuates, it moves. Um, so on a personal level, I uh, always had a keen interest and from a professional level that kind of led into my decision making process as to what to do um, in my late teens, really. And I actually decided to go and become a letting agent um, initially. So I spent, oh goodness me, probably six years, I think. It feels like a long time ago because it was a long time ago. Um, uh, about six years, maybe, uh, being a letting agent myself across the franchisee model, corporate model, um, and an independent model. And then I entered this side of the market in from a supplier perspective. So we are at Good Lord now as they reference so many people, make so many tenancies happen, puts you in a unique perspective to take a view on the market. Um, What are the current trends? What is happening right here, right now across the UK? So um, we're at the very start of a cost of living crisis, which should be no new news to anybody listening. Um, And we're, of course, at the, uh, you know, kind of the end of the the mass effect of the pandemic. and whilst those things, those two, two things aren't uh, mutually exclusive, they are starting to link up because, you know, individuals have been through a period of stress over the last, what, two to three years, nearly three years from a pandemic perspective, and are now, frankly, under more stress on a very personal level um, through the cost of living crisis. Um, and one assumption you could take um, from that is that, you know, most people have kind of just made it through the pandemic. There's been enough support uh, in place. Um, you know, hopefully employers have been um, been acting in the right way to look after their staff and try and retain them for as long as possible. Um, there's little that, though, the government seems to be doing in comparison in relative terms to the cost of living crisis. Um, you know, £250 off your, your gas bill that you're going to pay back at some point and a little bit of relief on council tax isn't going to cut it, unfortunately. And you only have to listen to somebody like Martin Lewis, for example, to, to really understand the, the depths in which this cost of living crisis could go. We're not seeing a huge effect of that now, um, but as a business, we are planning for that. And we're looking at things like affordability ratios. How, how much do people actually need to be able to survive in a property? And I think one of the interesting positions, like you say, our position is relatively unique, is that how do we how do we ensure that we, we're fulfilling our role as a referencing part referencing business, but also make sure we're not putting a barrier that's so stringent down that access to property isn't, isn't possible for tenants? And there's an element of, 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 of data there that, you know, data driven decision making we're going through at the moment to understand that and also have, a, have an understanding that that could move quite quickly as the months go on. Um, and we've got to take that into account. And to put that into, into context, um, not one referencing supplier through the entirety of the pandemic has changed or amended their affordability ratios. Now, we're looking at that. I don't necessarily think we need to change. Um, I think there's enough fat in there at the moment for what we're seeing. But I can see a time that if the cost of living was to increase, that we need to start factoring that in. And that really means for, for landlords listening um, that actually they need to be one switched on to that fact. Um, you know, somebody earning £30,000 last year, £30,000 this year is actually taking home a very different amount when it comes down to it. And the pressures on them will be uh, maybe higher than they were even through the pandemic. But also from a you know a duty of care to the tenants, you know we collectively have a, have a responsibility. Whether it's I'm looking at our properties that we own as a landlord, or I've got my supply hat on, I've got a duty of care to those individuals going to the property. I've got a duty of care to myself to make sure I don't put somebody in a position one 
that is untenable within a month or two they're going to they're going to default and it's going to cause stress but also for me personally as a landlord that's a really long process to get somebody out of a property at the moment um and you know landlords listening in i'm sure are aware that the, the advice is normally to stay put and don't move out and you know you know you essentially stay where you can for as long as possible and that's really being aided by the lag in the courts that we continue to see as an after effect of the pandemic. So, like I say, the two things are are linking together. And, you know, in some areas of the industry, you know, have the potential to, to, to kind of create a perfect storm. That said, the data points at the moment are, are pretty clear. Tenants are still affording to be able to live in properties. We're not seeing huge jumps in, in arrears. Um, in fact, arrears are declining slowly. Um, and, you know, I think there has to be a, uh, uh, you know, a, a fair view on where we are. Uh, I expect our market, any voice quite loudly about the cost of living crisis. I think that's more commercial led than data driven. And one of the things you know, we pride ourselves on at Good Lord is, is making sure we're giving a transparent view of the market and trying to consult with people like yourselves, letting agents, and also direct to landlords. They can access a lot of data to our website as a landlord on their own without a letting agent. Um, and I would urge them to do so because it points you in the right direction. But um, it's going to be an interesting few months, I think. And I think that applies to every single individual. You know, nobody's immune to this. Everybody's gas prices are rising. Everybody's yeah, I think, petrol prices are rising. I think being in, in the position you are, it's a delicate balancing act. Um, I've worked in corporate agency where the only interest in the branch is that the references get passed by hook or by crook. Yeah. Um, so the, the 30 times rent multiple... I I think it was 2004, 2005, I became a letting agent and it was 30 times. It's still 30 times. And whilst wages have risen, rents have probably risen faster than wages. And now utilities are going up 10 times faster than anything else. We're out there talking to landlords and saying, look, the affordability test is still set at 30. But if we get multiple offers, it's something that, I would I would seriously take a look at is where those people hit um, on their multiples when you're actually selecting the the right tenant because yeah. thirty now as you say seems to still be working but by the end of the year someone earning thirty thousand pounds paying one thousand pounds a month rent it's going to be a a real squeeze in in my opinion doable but a real squeeze particularly if they've got family mm. um, I, I did see a stat I think it was you put out that. In certain areas of the country, over fifty percent of people's income is now being spent on on rent and, and utilities. Yeah, which is, you know, for for me, that's getting a little bit a little bit too close to the to the point. But, yeah, but for, I, I'd for, agree. Yeah, but but where you are, <laughs> the letting agents pay your wages, but the landlord ultimately is the person we all have a duty of care to. So yeah. I don't know if one one referencing agent, one business can change that marker without without having to bring all of the others with you. It's it, it's really hard because your point around being you know as as a uh, as an, uh, a commercial agent previously, I've been in the same situation, and you know really your job at that stage is to try and give you try and get that property let out as quickly as possible. That's what the landlord wants, and if something a piece of paper says a green tick, you know what, why the hell are we not moving this forward? Um, and I think, you know, you're right in terms of saying the landlord is, is our client at that stage mm-hmm. as an agent. You, you clearly have a duty of care to them. But it's it's one part actually where the duty of care aligns completely across all the stakeholders. And um, I think changing that is quite difficult. And, 
you know, my my personal feeling on this is that we should do what's right um, in terms of the end beneficiary is the landlord. You know, if if a landlord is through their management fees paying for a service to cover referencing, there's absolutely no point paying for that if you just want to be told yes. You know, there has to be a, a you know a um, a transparent view of what the reality of the situation is. Now, referencing has always only been a snapshot of today, and that's the other thing. I think. Um, I'd implore landlords to go easy maybe on agents where they have tenants whose positions change. Um, it's not their fault. <laughs> you know, you only know what you know at that point in time. And that's exactly why things like rent protection insurance exist, because, you know, the view is I, I think this tenant is a good bet at the moment. Their life seems to be in order. You know, within two months, there can be a family breakup. There can be a change in job, uh, uh, illness or injury. And these things in a lot of cases, and for the most most the arrears claims that we manage these aren't tenants not wanting to pay their rent these are tenants not being able to pay their rent and you add in the you know the fact that they've now got a three four hundred pound gas bill a month you know it becomes really hard and then i do believe actually tenants mostly will pay their rent above and beyond everything else so actually what we may well see is personal debt slightly increase in other areas things like the utility bills mobile phones stripping out maybe more of the luxuries like sky tv for example or whatever it may be but the rent normally will be, will be paid because you know where we are from a market position at the moment is also interesting there's less stock available so you know when a tenant exits a property where are they going to go you know have they got somewhere comparable to go can they can they downgrade their property and that's one area we don't see a lot of activity in actually we don't see tenants making really great informed choices and future planning themselves to go a year ago this property was great for me i could afford the rent you know they're not proactive as much as they possibly could be i suppose and going i think it's gonna be a struggle maybe we you know we don't use the third bedroom that's literally a you know a dumping ground let's 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 scale down let's save a few hundred pounds a month let allow ability to to, 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 to cover other bills and, and that's clearly advantageous for all stakeholders but we don't see that as much which is interesting and you know maybe there's an education piece around that as opposed to tenants where tenants need to be more switched on to the fact they can do that more freely i think there's a there's a potential that what i see from my portfolio is when a renewal comes around i don't have the number but very few of my landlords actually look to really push the rent aggressively mm. they'll look for a, a token increase more than than a market value increase so if i let a two-bedroom flat in my area for 1100 pounds last year it's quite often that it will now be 1250 but my landlord doesn't want to put 150 pounds a month rent on that tenant because yeah. they feel like they've got to know that tenant have a bit of a responsibility to that tenant that they're not going to just rip that person off if they went to remarket, they're going to go at market value though so mm. potentially that 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 downsize is being squeezed because I'm I'm only getting fifty pounds a month back by by downsizing and it's gonna cost point. me it's gonna cost me a couple of weeks rent in changeovers and tenancy cleans and all those sorts of things. Whilst yeah, other things, yeah, council taxes, bills, that kind of thing might drop. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and you know, the market is kind of outstripping everything else at the moment, the rise in rents over the last few years. Um, you know, it, you, you could see that as advantageous for landlords, but there's going to be a ceiling, you know, and, it, well, that's, that's not fair. There's going to be a ceiling if rents um, and inflation continue to outstrip um, earnings. Um, if, you know, f you know, from a we have a, almost an economic miracle in the next six months and that doesn't happen then um there is you know that can continue but i don't i don't recognize there's enough layers being introduced in order to help support 
you know, the vast majority of tenants in that way. So I think it, again, speaks to the point that, you know, 99% of landlords are there to do the right thing and are actually really supportive. And landlords clearly get a bad a bad rub of the green when it comes to this kind of sentiment or, or, or um, you know, the way the media will discuss landlord and own, property ownership. Um, you know, the vast majority of landlords are single property owners. Um, you know, they have one investment property or it's an old home they used to live in. They're not, you know, they're not driving around in Bentleys and, and have 400 properties each. Um, and we saw that through the pandemic. You know, we were front and center of this because we managed to keep our rent protection book on throughout the pandemic. Um, unlike, you know, a lot of others in the market. And the reason we managed to do that was because we introduced a mediation piece of work that we continue to do this day. So we actually understood all the moving parts of a tenant cycle. And we are then we're linking that up with the landlords. And I can honestly tell you that the vast majority, if not nearly all of landlords, engaged, were progressive, were there to offer tenants some kind of support that they, you know, as much as they could offer to actually help the tenant get through that period of time. And your point around the renewal aspect, I think is very similar to that. You know, recognizing that, yeah, I could get £100, £150 more maybe, but I'm going to have upheaval, I'm going to have change. The tenant looks after the property. And, you know, I think that goes a long way to, to keeping tenant sentiments and animal sentiments aligned. And you don't hear much about that, do you? You don't, you don't see TV shows exposing great agents or great landlords. You definitely see TV shows exposing the other the, side of the world. Look, the, the, the headline, everything's fine, never sold a newspaper, did it? Yeah, exactly. So you know. I, think, I think, you know, going out and saying, hey, landlords aren't increasing rents on tenants when they're in situ. That's yeah. a really, really dull, boring headline. But saying rents are going up is, is you know, you need, people need the shocks in order to in order yeah. to read the stories and social media and, and, and newsprint media has always been based around that conflict and that kind of that argument side of things of well isn't this good isn't this bad situations so it's an interesting one and it's it's something that we kind of in, encourage our landlords to try and encourage longest possible tenancies because i feel like even if you're losing 50 pounds a month on the peak rate the fact you've had your tenants there for four five six years pays itself back in spades personally yeah no i i completely agree and and I think, you know, understanding what's motivating landlords is important. And um, sometimes landlords don't have an idea of themselves. They just have this property and you know, I think I should let it out. And actually, there's always going to be a further step to that. And, you know, when I used to be an agent, one of the first things I'd understand on evaluation is, you know, what's kind of your two to two to three year plan with this property? Is it an old family home that you're going to return back to? It's going to change the demographic of tenant I want to introduce you to. Um, you know, <laughs> it, it might be something that you've bought for long term investment and actually long term and consistency is key. There's always going to be slight differences between landlords needs. And for landlords listening, I suppose, today, it's about sort of assessing what what's your plan? You know, how we, what, what, what are the core values are important to you? Because if it is getting the most financial um, benefit from that in a short amount of time, then the market's kind of prime for that. But that may be counter in, uh, counterintuitive to actually having consistency of tenants and tenants looking after that property in a manner you become accustomed to with the current tenant you've got in. So all of this comes into play. And, you know, I'm a big believer in letting agents. I think that's a really important part of this cycle. Um, the landscape for landlords changing you know, almost monthly, the amount of legislation and regulation um, that is, is now part of the lettings process is something where I feel letting agents almost add a, a hidden value. And, and arguably, agents don't sell themselves enough on this front uh, for landlords to really understand all the little things that they're doing that amount to, to a big risk. And, you know, I think we've all got sort of horror stories where you speak to, to, to agents or landlords and you go, Did you? and they weren't even aware of this thing they had to do. And, 
you know, or there's changes to the how to rent guide, for example, that are kind of put on a message forward somewhere in the ether and nobody, nobody's aware, you know, letting agents are and they're front and center of it. Um, so I think, I think letting agents have as much a part to play in this as, as landlords in some respects to supporting the next sort of 12 or 18 months worth of stress. Yeah, I mean, you, you blew our minds off camera just before we hit the record button to say something like over 60% of landlords do their business privately rather than through an estate agent. Hmm. So why, in your opinion, should a landlord use a, an estate or a letting agent? So you, you can thank our good friends at Hamilton Fraser for that stat. I'm not going gonna, gonna, gonna to lay claim to that. Um, <laughs> but that was a report that was released last year, which I thought, a bit like you, was mind-blowing. Um and I think points towards maybe a lack of education holistically on how difficult renting a property is. And I don't just mean the points, I mean the connection with the tenants, you know, working with them. The change in demographic of, uh, sorry, the change in, in sentiment as well between a, a tenant and a landlord when it's that sole relationship is very different to the letting agent acts as a middle person in order to, to, to mediate a lot of problems, whether it's just, you know, a, a really straightforward maintenance issue or indeed something like rent arrears that needs maybe, a, you know, a, another set of eyes on. But intrinsically, letting agents are important because this is a professional process and this is something that is changeable. And we've seen this. If you go back five years and look at what legislation was in place then to what's in place now, it's vastly different. Vastly. So unless you as a landlord are keeping up to date continually, you know, refreshing your processes and documenting them, being able to, you know, really follow that process every single time, then you're going to struggle. And and the worst part of this is you may not struggle instantly because there's no red flag. There's no red flag to say you didn't serve a how to rent guide. No red flag to say you didn't do the right to rent checks properly. However, if something goes wrong and you do, for example, need to evict the tenant, that's when these things are really going to come home to roost and you're going to end up the wrong side of it. Um, and this isn't to scaremonger people because there's no need to do that. They, they, you know, there is two clear choices, education or support in, in the form of a letting agent. I would argue, given the seismic changes we're seeing, and let's not forget, we've got the renters reform bill coming down the tracks that's going to change maybe even more of these processes. I'd argue, you know, trust somebody that makes this their job day to day. If it's not your job day to day, go to an expert. Um, and I think it's easy to forget the value agents bring to, to the landlord, but also to the tenant as well. You will hopefully have a better process led by an agent, I think, unless you're focusing a lot of time on this yourselves as landlords. That leads us in. How should a landlord protect themselves? What are the, what are the best buys uh, if you're a landlord with a tenant moving in? Where should you be going? Where should you be putting your money um, to, to make sure that you're always protected? So I think protection comes in different forms. Um, and the natural thing we'd sit would be to sit here and say, well, buy rent protection. You know, as director insurance, that's one of our main products. Um, I think it's a, it's a lot more, a lot deeper than that. Um, I think protection comes in firstly how you present the property. Tenants are going to treat the property in which they perceive it. So, you know, if you have made a decision to maybe, you know, not not repaint the walls again this time because, you know, you haven't got time or there's a bit of cost added, choose, choose to do it you know, set your property up to, 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 to be treated well, um, I suppose is the best first point of advice. That, that gives you a layer of protection because you start off on an even keel, you know, and I think what you find is most tenants are, are thankful actually for entering a property that is that bit better than maybe the standard. If you aim at that, then you're not going to go far wrong from a tenant sentiment perspective. And I think it forms a level of respect. You know, there's a clear commercial upside to that too. If your property is slightly better dressed than others, you're going to be able to obtain a better rent. Um, they would track a different kind of demographic. Um, 
in terms of protection now and in now, it's making sure you're fully aware of what your responsibilities are as a, as a landlord, or indeed make sure you're passing those responsibilities contractually onto a, a professional letting agent. The, you know, the, the biggest step here is the is the kind of the the adoption of the let itself, getting it getting it getting the agreement agreed, making sure you follow the right um, legislative steps in terms of process, making sure you've got gas safety in place, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, I'm not going to sit here and teach landlords suck eggs, but it's making sure you've got that and and knowing what the list from A to Z is, not A to D or A to S, A to Z. What's the total? You know, what's the total amount of work required? And making sure those steps are followed and documented will give you a layer of protection as well. Because everything were to happen, you know, you're not going to get to a to a hearing where the judge turns around and says, well, actually, you know, you didn't do this, this, and this. You know, so actually, I'm going to favor the, the tenant here. Um, you have no right to, to argue your case because you didn't set the letter in the first place. I think a letting agent, friend letting agent, um, takes all of that away um, in an instant. And it might feel painful to give a percentage of your rent away. Um, it'll feel a lot more painful if you get hit with a massive fine. And we're talking before we're filming of a few examples of where you go, you know, <laughs> if a landlord gets caught on this, they're going to face a three, I think, three hundred thousand pound fine. We're talking yeah. earlier, you know, ten percent away to that letting agent, twelve percent to that letting agent. That's a lot easier to to bear than a huge fine coming down the tracks when you didn't expect it. As part of that lettings process, comprehensive referencing is a must. Um, there are a number of firms out there alongside Good Lord that, that, that can conduct those, and normally that's got, you know that's sort of uh, managed by the letting agent or a direct relationship through through online normally with the landlord. But make sure you're doing the proper references. Make sure you're taking the, the the right identification. Make sure you're following the right processes. That only takes you so far, though. Referencing is a snapshot of today. It doesn't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. And this is where I will be a, uh, a, a be banging the rent protection. Because what rent protection insurance does is essentially allows you to have peace of mind thereafter. And from a good law perspective, it means that if the tenant doesn't pay their rent, we will pay the rent on a monthly basis until we've gained vacant possession. There's no monthly cap on that. Um, and I think having that level of peace of mind alongside knowing that product and service also covers all your legal expenses to evict a tenant is vital. Um, Ministry of Justice um, stats, the last ones I saw were suggesting the eviction process was taking between 15 and 17 months. Um, so, you know, if you, if you're happy to sit there and, and acknowledge that your property is going to be filled with a tenant who's not paying their rent for that length of time, then by all means, um, but I think 15 I, to 17 months. Yeah. The last one we, I think we, uh, we republished this, uh, I, I might be misquoting it. I think it was 17.6 or 17.4 months was the last quarterly update for the Ministry of Justice. Now, of course, this is, this is powered by the huge volumes we saw coming through the pandemic and the court's still not catching up. But it hit home that that's you know even if even if it gets down to ten months pre-pandemic it was about it took, used to take three to five months to evict a tenant so even if we get from sort of fifteen seventeen down to ten that's ten months worth of mortgage payments you've got to make as landlord that's ten months worth of worry is the property being kept even to a half reasonable standard because you know as soon as somebody stops paying something guess what the sentiment towards the property drops you know have I done everything right I was meant to up until this point am I going to find out that I haven't and therefore I go back around this process again or get hit with a fine um or, or anything worse you know that this all it becomes all-encompassing for, land, for landlords at that stage so having you know a product or a service either directly taken out or taken by your letting agent that covers your peace of mind on this I think is absolutely vital um I don't think any landlord out there would be walking around with an expensive watch on their wrist for example and not insure it Yet when it comes to the biggest investment and the way that investment pays a return back to you, 
not all landlords entertain rent protection insurance and uh, that is is slightly mad to me i've got to be honest but um I do appreciate I'm sitting on the side of promoting and selling this thing. So, you know, m- m- maybe I'm, I'm slightly biased. But as a landlord, you know, myself, uh, the first port of call would be to take rent protection insurance out. Um, and I've, I've benefited it from in the past. I mean, it's it, it, for me, it's a, it's a necessity. I mean, it, it's a good point to make because no one planned for COVID to happen or, then, or a couple of years ago, and it happened. Um, and... Uh, although we were quite probably in a good position then, it has obviously changed how agency works. A lot of people going online, video, and so forth. But from an arrears point of view, we, we sort of got through that, and it t- typically was okay. But no one planned for it, and it did put people, some people in a bad situation. If you had had cover, it could be a case of someone losing their job or they fall ill and can't physically work to pay that rent. So having that cover for a sake of 300 pounds or what whatever it costs to, to take out it's a no-brainer like you said if it takes that long to get rid of someone as well um it, it just makes sense to me um whether it's 300 pound you don't want to spend or, or you factored in it, it could save you thousands um but coming on to to the, my next question to you if that's okay is it's this is more personal opinion from yourself um mm. uh, rather than take, take your business hat off and just let us know your personal opinion where you see this going but where do you see the property market going over the next sort of short term and long term? So let's say six months onwards. So um, it's probably one area I worry about the most on, on a personal perspective because uh, I've got three children. I've got, uh, my eldest is is soon to be fifteen, um, so he's going to be a few years off, you know, wanting his own place. Hopefully, taking his own place. <laughs> no, I, love, I love him living this, but you know he's going to want his own place at some stage in the future. Um, and I expect him to, to his first step into the property market to be uh, through rented accommodation. And what I see at the moment is actually, you know, there's a, a lot of landlords exiting the market for various reasons. Um, we see potential change from a taxation perspective going to further that that exit. And I don't see the investment back into the market on the other side. So. You know, I think we are, and uh, you know, we speak to letting agents every every week. The, the moment, the biggest thing for those agents at the moment is, is supply, is, is stock levels. You know, they can't let property quick enough, and they can't get the kind of property actually the demographic is asking for. Um, and I think that should be a, a real worry. I think I fear that we have have gone through so many steps that have been counterproductive to landlords that we actually there's been a segmentation of landlords that more than likely my gut feel has entered the market around. 2008, 2009, after the, the financial crisis that couldn't sell the property, went into left rentals and actually, hey, it's going to work well. I feel like we're alienating the, that, that, that type of landlord. And I worry where the next property comes from. So I do have a concern over stock levels. Um, I think I read somewhere as well that in the last year, according to Company's House, something like 5,000 new estate and letting agents entered the market. Now, there's been a slight shift between individual owned estate agency and stuff. That's going to account for some of that. But the growth in this side as well is a concern because it kind of dilutes, dilutes the overall market. You know, are we adding real value? You know, what, what, how, how is the industry changing to adapt to, to customers? So that's, that's another side. Like where do people go to get expert advice? And actually, are we diluting it too much? That There's so many agents and so little property that all becomes, um, it becomes a bit of a race to the bottom from a fee perspective. I think you guys can speak to that more clearly than I can, but I certainly recognize there's been pressure on the fees and I'm a big believer for landlords. And as a landlord, you get what you pay for. Um, so stock, 
um, in management of the industry. Um, and then you look at sort of the changes that we're going to see through, um, through the change in regulation. And, you know, the ability for landlords to get their property back um, is potentially going to change the abolishment of Section 21. Intriguing to see how that's maybe adapted back into another form of section. But I think we're going to see um, more rights to tenants. And whilst that, you know, holistically isn't a bad thing, I think, again, it adds more pressure onto a landlord having to make key decisions very early on in their life cycle of either owning or wanting to rent a property out. So I think all angles are, are adding stress, to be honest with you. And um I worry that we we're going to just see you know artificially increased rents because of that, and with the cost of loan crisis now in the way, and is not really knowing where, how long that goes on for, you know that really starts to squeeze the bottom end of the market, and I think it makes you know renting a property potentially unaffordable for a lot of people, and we should all be worried about that. That is, you know, that isn't isn't going to be a good place for any of us. Um, but yeah, I can't be seeing than that. Sorry, it feels a bit negative that that reply. But I think the market's being squeezed in, in, in many different ways, and you know, I think we should there should be a level of concern around that. No, that's fine. Obviously, you're entitled to your opinion, so negative or not, that that's that's your uh, opinion on it. But I'm going to throw you a bit off guard on this one. Then, so you mentioned obviously about the lack of stock out there, which we've seen as a bit an ongoing issue for a while, mm. um, and landlords selling, and typically we are seeing more landlords sell than, than buy into the buy to let market space, but are you typically seeing more people staying put in their properties or attended uh, tenancies typically ending as well just as much as uh, as uh, tenants stay and put basically are they going mm. into periodic are they renewing their contracts what are you seeing from the back end side that maybe we can't see tenure has increased no doubt um and our data suggests that i think the the more interesting question is why and i think the pandemic plays a massive part of that um you know, this industry and our sector especially um, is pretty bomb-proof. You know, it's one of the first things to be switched back on, wasn't it, the, the, the housing market, you know, mid-pandemic. Um, but I think what we saw was that people started to value their, their homes a lot more than they maybe done before. And that's natural. They're spending more time in them. But if you're happy with your property, especially given there's a shortage of stock, I, you know, you're more than going to stay longer. And uh, the data suggests that tenures are, are increasing. Um I don't necessarily see it in from a personal perspective. I don't see that stopping. I think people will continue to stay longer. And I'm not sure the gap between renting your property and owning your own property is shortening either. And I don't think the measures are there to really help people transition. Um, it's clear from a government perspective, they would like people to own their own properties. That's been, that's been kind of front and center of, of, of the folk when it comes to housing. Um, I'm not sure, though, that the mechanisms are in place to really deliver on that focus. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you only got to look at, you know, we've got another housing minister, I think, last week. I think that's like, I don't know, 12 in 10 years or something daft like that. You know, it's for something that's so important to people's lives. I would I would maybe question the the priority level it gets at the highest level to be able to really give meaningful uh, mechanisms to help people either transition from rented to, to ownership or indeed accept that you know, the way that people live in property has changed quite significantly. A higher percentage of people are renting. And if that's the case, we probably need to, to sort of recognise the value in that sector and invest in it more. I suppose time will tell on that. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're, we're kind of here for the ride, whether you're a landlord, a letting agent, or a supplier. And I think, um, it, you know, for me, it, it's the same with, with how we look at our business everything is data driven and an understanding sort of where the stress points are from a data perspective often lead you to the right place. And, uh, 
you know, I think, you know, chats like this, you know, maybe switch tensions away from your own individual box, thinking actually, what's it look like over the next four or five years? What's my goal as a landlord? Um, and I'd implore all landlords to have a goal as well. You know, is it to maintain that property and build that portfolio? Um, is it to essentially manage that property for a short term because you're then moving away? You know, understand exactly what you're trying to achieve with your property. And, and then if you're if you're open to that idea, go and speak to professionals. You know, the letting agents time costs nothing. And you may after that decide it's not worth your time. But I, you know, I think letting agents here, again, I just to bang that drum once more, really can add value to, to a medium to longer term um, benefit uh, from your property. You'll be pleased to know we actually had a podcast a couple of weeks ago with a business coach and he spoke exactly the same thing as what you just said there. Set your long and short term goal of what you want to achieve as a landlord coming into this space. So anyone that's listening that hasn't seen that, um, check it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. It's all there. And we're here to give free information anyway. So more than welcome to fire us a DM or go on the Good Law website and have a look. But bringing me on to my next question, Ollie, if you invest in the next buy to let deal, the perfect buy to let deal, what does that look like to you? Um, goodness me, it, it's it's hard to get a lot of value out of the market at the moment. Um, from what I, from what I can see, um, I'm based up in Lincolnshire, um, so we're not, um, you know, from a costing perspective, it's clearly not as high as the areas of the country. But we're seeing seeing prices continue to rise, um, and I think on that basis, you know, you're really buying something for ten or twenty years time. Actually, um, you know, I don't think there's many quick wins in the market at the moment. Um, so for me, my preference would be to something slightly larger than maybe the norm, um, probably a three to four instead of a two to three bed, um, acknowledging also that people's lifestyles are changing. Um, whether you're back into the office or not, most people aren't back 100% of the time, and I don't see that changing back. And I think that's a real positive thing, actually. I think the work-life balance, you know, if you get it right, is, is really, it can be really driven by that hybrid, hybrid scheme. But you know, if you're looking to invest in something that's going to be fit for purpose for, for for the demographic of tenants that you you know you want to entertain and for me that's normally a you know a couple or a small family then you know probably looking at something slightly larger um than we'd normally entertain would be where i'd focus on but even at that segment of the market again i don't see much value and this is the other thing this is this is why it's problematic especially when you look at stock because you may have people out there that you know are wanting to move on something or want to invest in something but they just feel the market isn't right for them at the moment and you know often in periods of stress there are normally opportunities that hasn't really presented itself in the housing market because through the biggest period of stress we've gone through so far in what a hundred years since Spanish flu house prices increased dramatically. Um, and you know, that only works if you're kind of exiting out of the market and you're cashing in because if you're looking to continue to invest or you're selling somewhere to buy again, you're on that, you're on that ladder. Um, so I think that drives part of the part of the concern at the moment is, you know, where does that, you know, are we are we almost by design allowing landlords to sit, sit on their money a little bit longer than they normally would? And and I can understand that view. You know, I, I I don't think you can be super confident at the moment given so much change. But yeah, yeah. answer your question. Three or four. I, bit, I think maybe. I think the summary I think the summary is perfect. More landlords are selling than buying at the moment because we're. At, I look at it as a cycle. The vast majority of landlords in 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 my area did come around. The sort of 2007, 2008, 2009 time, either either buying low or being forced into being a landlord accidentally, and now cashing in on the profits. Mm. The, the counter argument, I guess, about value at the moment is if you if you literally buy anything, anything, it will be worth more tomorrow than it was today. Even cars. If you don't now. see that value because you know what it used to cost. <laughs> yeah. 
it, we, we struggle because we know what it used to cost and what it costs now seems expensive. But if the market's racing away at 10% a year, then frankly, you can almost buy anything and look like an expert in front of your friends and relatives when you say, well, look what I paid for it. Look, look mm. where we are now in a year's time. As you, as you quite rightly say, where that, where that ends, nobody knows because nobody expected to see such massive gains out of, out of a pandemic. But, but, but here we are. So I think that pretty much wraps it up and it just leaves me and Tristan to say thanks very much to, to Ollie Sherlock. As ever, details about Good Lord, their website, their blogs will be attached to our socials. So we use them all the time for our stats and, and our blogs. Feel free to go on and, and, and read and, and get more information about what they do, how they do it. If you want any more advice from Tristan and I, as ever, click below. We'll speak to you soon. Okay, Ollie's left the building. Quite a lot of information to digest from Ollie. As we said before, we brought him on. He's looking at the world from three different angles as a landlord, as an ex-letting agent, and as a professional provider of insurance for landlords. What was your biggest takeaways? There's a couple of things for me once again, but there was one thing that was discussed between us that roughly 65% of landlords let properties themselves, which is substantially more than what I was expecting to hear. I'd be interested to know of how many of those are independently referencing them and taking out rent and legal protection on those and what protection they have and whether they're sticking to the compliance changes. Because as Ollie said, it's never ending. Every single month, pretty much, we're seeing changes happen. And the amount of people we speak to on a daily basis that aren't up to date with those and it could be at the stage of an eviction process. Obviously, I don't want to talk about the negatives, but it could be at the stage of a victim process process where you've gone all the way down the line and it's gone to the court and it's dismissed because you've missed one piece of document or one piece of information. And then you have to start that process all over again. It's a very time and costly process. So there's a lot of things to take away from that, in my opinion, but they were certainly up. I've been there in the county court in that situation where the tenant tried to argue the case against me was incorrect because I'd served the notice on the wrong day. Fortunately, I hadn't, but that was their one and only argument. They'd taken me all the way to the county court with the argument, this guy served the notice on the wrong day. Unfortunately, they, they, they'd read the rules wrong and I was right. So I was, I was in the right on that perspective, but it does happen. And I've got personal experience of that kind of uh, I want to say pernicketiness, but that's not a word. You know what I mean? Um, the one thing that I even stopped him on, just to double check it, said it right, was the average amount of time it takes to evict a tenant if you're going all the way through the process, according to Ministry of Justice, 15 to 17 months. Now, in almost 20 years of doing this, it was always, listen, worst case scenario, you'll get, you'll get your property back in five and a half. That was that was just that was just how it was. Two months' notice um, and a, and a section eight, and then time taken for a court date. Reinforce that with the bailiffs, and then a bailiffs being appointed was five and a half to six months in in our region. The average across the UK is now fifteen to seventeen months. Now, I've never been a big buyer or a big pusher of rent guarantee or landlord guarantee insurance. Because I always thought that if, it, if the worst case scenario is six months, I'll take my chances on the fact that I put the right tenant in there in the first place. And I know the stats that arrears are very, very low in the area that I work in the area that I own property. But imagine not getting any rent for 
well, 15 to 17 months on average around here, that's going to be over £20,000 before you even pay legal fees now, which is a phenomenal amount of money. And it might change my opinion on whether I'm going to back myself with, uh, with an insurance certificate. What do you think on that? Yeah, I think it's mind-blowing really, isn't it? You said the average cost of a property around here, the amount of arrears you'd fall into or be repossessed if you, if you don't keep up with it. Um, a lot of landlords, it's it's a one property pension pot for them or an accidental landlord. So I'm pretty certain a majority of those won't be able to do that. Yeah. So something to reflect on until next week. If you ever have any questions for us, drop us a message below. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They agents have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.